When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Something else. Previously on All Relative, Defining Diego. Well, my name's Diego, but I'm from the Sutsuhil tribe, so they would call me Atiko. I give Diego away because I'm a woman and I can't really teach men's work to the boys. What are your expectations? I don't know. I feel like, honestly, he's a changed dude. From what to what? From some hard-ass dude who fought in a war and stuff to just someone who is trying to survive the everyday life of the economy. The way that international adoptions boomed at their height in Guatemala is not something that I think anyone who has intimate knowledge of it would care to repeat, given the high levels of fraud and coercion of birth mothers. I always knew that, you know, when we adopted you, it was a temporary thing. And then we were gonna send you out into the world and you were gonna be your own person. I studied abroad in Rome for a year in college. One of the things I loved about my life there were these epic runs I would take through the city. I started in Piazza del Popolo, a large round plaza with an Egyptian obelisk in the middle. Then I sprinted down a side street past the Spanish steps. I ended at the Colosseum, the most iconic amphitheater of all time. It made everything seem small in comparison. My feet pounded against cobblestones, older than anything I've ever known. In Italy, I didn't have to deal with this forever question of whether I was Guatemalan or American. There, I just was. No one knew where I was from. I felt free. It wasn't as simple as an escape. Because people in Italy couldn't figure out who I was, I had space for the first time to really decide for myself. It was in Rome that I appreciated what it means to be mine, to be part of something ancient. Today, in Minnesota, I'm still figuring out who Shika is, who I am. I wanna work with kids with special needs and be the kind of teacher a sick, sad 12-year-old me could've looked up to. I'm working weekends at Punch Pizza, where I started as a dishwasher when I was 16. I work out, I play hockey, and I run across the Mississippi River to Minneapolis and back home to St. Paul. Running is like my therapy. As my feet pound the pavement, I sometimes get emotional 
I reflect on what keeps me going, why I'm here, living this life. When we first started doing this, you said adoption wasn't your issue, that you just as soon put it behind you. What do you think about that now? Like, I could easily just hang it up and never deal with it again. But this is part of me, and this is a cool thing that is part of me. It's not something I want to run from anymore. I mean, you've given me so much from this the connection with my birth family. That was the goal, that I would know where I'm from and know my people. And you've given that to me, and that's been an incredible gift. I'm Diego Shikai Luke. I'm Laurie Stern. And from Something Else in Sony Music Entertainment, this is All Relative. Defining Diego. Episode 8, Becoming Atiko. <laughs> I had never been to Isabel's house before. We always met wherever we're staying. This time was a little different. She actually asked us over. She invited us over to her house. And we needed Dolores' help to find the place. She directed our driver, Oswaldo, as we made our way across town. Oh my God. I think we could walk if that's easier. I remember it was up this steep hill on a cobblestone road, which was barely big enough for a van. And our driver, Oswaldo, the goat driver of Guatemala, was able to, like, maneuver through these, like, really tight spots. We ended up stopping at this tea in the road. And you and Dolores went down a narrow alley, and I hung back and waited for Dan. Okay, you ready, Dan? Might want to be rolling. Inside, Isabel's home was one small room. A dirt floor, no electricity, one water pump. There was a simple wooden bed frame stacked against each wall. Everyone was there. My sister Josefa and her little boy. My brother Juan and his little girl, also named Isabel. How are you? How are you? Yeah, we were in Isabel's house and she was acting like a proud grandma. She was all smiling and friendly. But there was a tinge of nervous energy in the air. We still didn't know if Cristobal would show up. I sat down on a bed and, you know, I was kind of disappointed that Cristobal wasn't there. But Isabel left all of a sudden. And when she returned, she was like, he's on his way. I remember Dan was standing in the doorway and I just heard Dan say, you must be Cristobal. Cristobal was smaller than me and older than I thought he'd be. His back was bent and his jeans hung on him. His brown fleece jacket was zipped all the way up. 
He had bushy eyebrows under a faded San Francisco Giants baseball cap. He looked beat up. I'd practice how to say, I am your son, Atiko, in Sutuhio. I wanted to give him a hug, but I stopped myself. And instead, I put out my hand. There we were, shaking hands, and the last piece of my puzzle slipped into place. He looked around and seemed delighted, but a little confused. I think all of us in that moment kind of realized the gravity of the situation, just how special and how this had been 23 years in the making. And then Isabella got a stool for him. He sat down and we just talked. He told me his father's name and his mother's name. That he was born April 18th, 1969. And this small room we were in belonged to his mother. My sister Josefa is named for her. And can I just want to know about his, him growing up, what was his childhood like? And what he said when he grew up, and his father teached him how to use the hoe and cleaning people's land, like people growing corn and vegetable, he will clean the, the weeds and people's land. And he collects wood, and then he went to go pick coffee cherry when it's the season for coffee to get red or something. And then that's his job, picking coffee in San Pedro. Cristobal told me that he worked as a day laborer, doing whatever seasonal work was available. One day, he and his father were working in Tecpan, a city on the way to the capital. Soldiers on a military truck grabbed him and threw him in. Military service was mandatory in the 80s. And they forced him to be, with, to be with the military. If he doesn't mind talking about some of his experiences in the military, because we, want, we think it's important for people to know that uh, his, like his story is very important. Let him... I asked him why they sent him up in the mountain. It's like to to look for for the guerrilla people. And if they find a guerrilla person, and they will tell them to kill them. But then he doesn't want to kill the people. Sometimes he's just uh, hiding because it'd be hard for him killing their own people. Cristobal told me the whole story. He said he was on guard duty. He was forced to stay awake and on his feet for days at a time. The soldiers never had enough to eat. They had to eat leaves and grass and wild beans just to survive. 
One day, he was supposed to go out on patrol near the Mexican border, but he managed to escape. He said a lot of people were killed that day. It was a horrible time, those years, 1983 to 1989. Then he said he came back to Santiago Atitlan, and everything that's happened since then was his fault. I told him it was okay. He's still my father, and I still love him as my father. Like what he said, <laughs> thanks to my son and Diego. And they always tell me before he comes, but then I never hear. But thanks now, I saw this car passing by in front of me. I didn't know it was my son come to visit. But I'm very happy. I love him. And I'm happy to meet my son and all of the, the family that are here too. I'm happy to meet them. I'm very happy. This is my Diego. This meeting of families in Isabel's house, everyone was aware how precious it was. It was really hard to say goodbye, especially to Isabel. But I had to try. I have one more thing. <laughs> it's... What I was trying to tell you back in 1999 when Diego was a little tiny baby. And I was trying to thank you, but I had no idea then because he's just a little baby. <laughs> and he <laughs> would be <laughs> the best thing <laughs> in my whole life. <laughs> and, and you gave <laughs> I can't believe you're comforting me. And I have a gift, this son, for us. Just be happy. As long as we live, be happy you have a son. He's such a good boy. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to have the last word? Uh, Matios. Thank you, everyone. Diego, I don't know if you caught that, but Isabel wasn't waiting for Dolores' translation. Yeah, she was just talking to you in Sutuhil. Yeah, and then later you thanked everyone in Sutuhil. Remember later that night we sat around at the hotel and tried to go over everything that happened so we could remember it? I just... It was one of those things where I don't think... When I was ready, he was ready, and he was ready, I was ready. It's always been like, he's trying to run away, maybe, and and then like he he comes in, and one of the first things he says when when we sit down is like, "I'm sorry, I didn't see you last time," and so it really made me realize that he's been thinking about me 
for a long time, maybe more than just these seven years. I remember it was the uh, 2005 trip. We were here at the Bamboo, and Isabel had this old snapshot photo of um, Cristobal in his military uniform, and he had a gun, and she showed it to us. And, you know, we were like, oh, that's Diego's birth father. And we were like, Diego, come here. Look, this is your birth father. And, you know, you looked at it, and it seemed like, you know, you stared at the photo for a long time, and then you were like, oh, cool. And then you ran off and, and you went to play. But it was sort of like that moment, I could see the wheels turning. You're trying to process who this guy was and what this meant. And, um, and so then comparing that to now, 20 years later, it's uh, so much more. The whole day has been surreal. Um, when he walked in, my first impression was, he's so frail. He's so small. And, you know, over the years, we've imagined that he was strong and maybe mean and violent. And you just kind of wanted to put your arms around him and say... It's okay. Exactly. When he walked in and I shook his hand... I really just wanted to hug him right there to let him know you're safe. Like, I'm I'm your son. You're my father. I feel like, like not just Cristobal and Isabel, but especially Cristobal and Isabel, but everybody was like a fully formed family member. Like, I especially felt that with Isabel. She had told you what, You should do, as a young man, responsible, not just to her and your Tutsu Heal people, but to me and Dan. She was telling you what for. I just remember, like, making eye contact with her, and she was, like, trying to... I guess I can't remember what she was telling me, because I don't understand Tutsu Heal. Can I tell you what I was observing? Just because I think this might be what you're trying to make the point was you she was talking to you and you were just nodding and like you were looking into each other's eyes and your eyes were watering and her eyes were a little watery and in this moment I saw two I saw both parents who really really cared about me and it didn't matter what language you spoke where you're from what the color of your skin was all that mattered in that moment was we were all in that room for me. And just, like, it was a language that didn't need to be spoken. It was just the language of being a mother. You know, just that maternal instinct towards me. And she was saying stuff to you, and you were saying stuff to her. None of you had any idea what the hell each other was saying. All you knew was that it was about me, and that you both loved me, and you both love me, like, currently. And that's what this is all about. That's what I noticed. You're right. (laughs) Thank you. I needed help. (laughs) That's what I'm here for. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's that's what was going on. Stay with us. 
the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch, involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati, and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. I'm grateful that I know both my birth parents. I know not every adoptee has had that opportunity, and not everyone even wants it. But on our trip back last March, I met someone else who's putting the pieces of her puzzle together. Can you introduce yourself with, like, your name, um, where we are, and kind of what you do, what your role is? Sure. Uh, so my name is Kalia Gibo. I am the Guatemalan director of El Abor de Patricia. And, That's Kalia. Um, I met her on our last day in Guatemala in 2022. She was great. We have a few things in common. For one thing, we're about the same height. And she's adopted. We both lived with our foster families the first five months of our lives. And like me, she struggled to learn Spanish. But unlike me, she's fluent now, which is good because she lives in Guatemala and runs a children's home about an hour west of Guatemala City. Looks like it, it kind of feels like a, I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but like a summer camp. Like it's just, People are enjoying themselves, and it's it's very, it's just a good atmosphere here. Yeah, I get good vibes here. Yeah, like I said, we do our best. We know it's not the ideal situation, but for some of our kids who have been through some really difficult times, um, you know, it's it's a needed safe home for them, which is a whole other, <laughs> whole other. This place is called El Amor de Patricia. Kids who are abandoned or whose families can't take care of them, they live here. Some of them will be adopted, but by Guatemalans, not foreigners like before. They are there. I mean, many times babies come one day old, two day old, and they're with us until the moment they're adopted, which typically, if they're abandoned at birth, this takes about a year to, to a year and a half. How do you know one baby is more likely to get adopted than another? Like, what makes that true? If they're abandoned at birth, typically we know they will be adopted pretty quick if they were removed. It was cool to see another adoptee helping other kids get adopted and to hear more of how Kalia got back to Guatemala from Canada, where she grew up. When Kalia was a baby, her adoptive mom sent a letter to her birth mother. It came back unanswered and unopened. So Kalia doesn't know her birth family, and so far she's okay with that. But Kalia's mom has been bringing her back to Guatemala since she was 12. And the more time she spent in Guatemala, the more connected she felt. And she moved here for good a few years ago. I think it really also has filled a bit of, of that kind of void, I would say. Um, being surrounded by Guatemalans, being able to be here as a Guatemalan, um, being part of the daily, all the traditions, the, speaking the language now. Kalia's also had to become fluent in Guatemala's evolving adoption culture. And it's slow going. Like she said, it takes at least a year for even the most straightforward adoptions to get approved. Yeah, I mean, it's because Guatemala wants to be thorough in making sure there's no biological family to take the babies. 
So far, the government is only placing about 100 a year in new homes. Yeah, the Consejo Nacional de Adopciones told us it will take time to build a culture of domestic adoption. And meanwhile, it's also trying to help families take care of their kids. The goal is for kids to spend fewer years in institutions. The number of kids in children's homes is coming down from more than 5,000 during the adoption boom to around 3,500 now. There was a horrible fire in 2017 in an orphanage. 41 teenage girls died. And after that, there was even more pressure to reform the way kids are cared for. Kalia still has big questions about adoption. Like me, she's glad she was adopted. I mean, if I wasn't adopted, I'd probably be dead. But the big questions, we still have them. And we have to keep asking them. Because we hear international adoption could open up again, especially for older kids or kids with special needs. Yeah, other countries already have programs like that. But healthy babies, that's over. When people ask us, was international adoption a good thing or bad thing? How do you answer that? I think that's an impossible question. It's not like it's one or the other. I mean, it's both. It depends. It was really bad. And it was really good. When we adopt you, we are giving you a new life, but we're also giving you a lifelong problem to solve. Yeah, I'm grateful for everything you've done and all that, but it wasn't really, you know black and white, part of me feels like this isn't my home. I think that's kind of what comes out of this problem. I think this is something I'll be working on, continuing to work on. Maybe I'll figure it out, maybe I won't. I think you will. But Diego, how do you judge something like international adoption? by the most beautiful things that came out of it or the really ugly things? I'll have to keep thinking about adoption to figure out who I am and who we are. Who we are as a family. What does it mean to be a family? Stay with us. You know, in some ways, this whole podcast has been like a marathon. We've gotten to reflect on our whole lives. And as you know, we've also settled some things. Yeah, you met your birth father. And your connection with Isabel is more solid now that you're grown and healthy. You have your own relationship with them outside of me. And Isabel seems so proud to have you at her house. I started using her last name, Shikai, as my first name, like, professionally. Sometimes. I'd say your name is one of the things that's not settled. Yeah, I mean, I think part of that is because I actually got to meet Cristobal, and I got to learn his last name, Rajuk. Yeah, his last name was left off of all your paperwork. I never knew, but I always wanted to know. Remember when you introduced yourself to Cristobal as Atiko? 
when you first walked into Isabel's house? And actually, since the trip, you've started using Atiko. Not Diego, not Chikai, but Atiko. Yeah. Atiko means Diego in Sutuhil. And I learned that on one of our trips to Guatemala when I was just a little kid. Well, my name's Diego, but I'm from the Sutsuhil tribe, so they would call me Atiko. So who are you going to be in summer hockey? Um, I signed up as Atiko Rijukshikai. Part of it is, like, it's clearly indigenous. Like, the spelling, it just doesn't look English. And I think part of using that name is like, what's this name? How do you say it? It gets the conversation started because now I'm very proud to to be a man on the lake and and I feel like that's kind of the name I should have. I want to like reclaim it. That part of Guatemalan history, the war, all this stuff, by using Rajuk and Shikai, I can like continue carrying like that trauma through my name and People might ask me where you get this name from, and I can explain to them. This is from my father. He fought in the Guatemalan Civil War. It's from my mother. She kept her head down and, and also survived. My people have survived and endured for centuries, and we still are. And I think that's one of the reasons I want this name back is because this is my people. You said when we came back that you wanted to build Isabella House. Yeah. Do you think that's really going to happen? I'd like it to happen. I mean, I'm not going to force it to happen. I hope oh, it happens. Oh, but you're going to have to decide if it's going to happen. Well, I think it's like you were saying, how when this project is over, it's up to me to maintain this relationship. I could go visit them without you guys, but that's... Also kind of scary to me, honestly, because you've always been there. And I feel like you're as much of their family as I am. How do I balance having two families and potentially a third if I have my own family? How does that relationship exist with Juan and Josefa? Because I know Isabel and Cristobal aren't going to be around forever either. When Dolores is gone, when all these connections I have are gone, how do I keep that relationship? I feel really connected to that place because of you. I mean, I I got to know the world you come from and the people you come from, and I love them. Like, they're my relatives, too. I would love to go back with you. And if I'm ever in a position to help Isabel build a house, that's what I want to do. Maybe that can be our next project. Even now, you know, knowing her 23 years later, it's like, it's still awkward. It's like I'm meeting her for the first time every time. Imagine that you're about to watch a movie. It's a two hour long movie. You can only watch five minutes every like 20 minutes. So you get to watch the first five minutes of the movie, then you get to watch 
from 20 to 25 minutes and then you get to watch 40 to 45. And that's how I felt like it was to Isabel. Like she's only getting very small snippets. 23 years, we've met five, six times. She's, we've probably met for like less than a day total. But she feels so overwhelmed and emotional when she sees me. Like it's evident she cares and thinks about me. And it made me look at love in a different way. Cause it's like, how could you love someone that much when you barely, barely know them? And I think that's something like, that's just like motherly love. Like I, and I don't think I've loved someone that much. It's been, like you said, you know, really bonding for us to talk this stuff over and to have these interview sessions. Like we're really doing this thing together. So I want to know, quite honestly, will you still love me? Let me tell you. Love is, a, is an action. It's yeah. not just like a greeting card. You know, sitting here, like sometimes I just look up and smile because I look at you and it's like, I think it's one of those things I'll like never forget, you know, sitting next to you in this room and just knowing we're telling the story together. Yeah, it's, it's powerful. You are my mom. And I just want to thank you for helping me find my own voice and helping me find my way. And I think it's a beautiful thing what we've done. Unlock all episodes of All Relative Defining Diego ad-free right now by subscribing to The Binge, our new podcast channel. Subscribers immediately get ad-free binge access to this show and all the others included on The Binge channel with brand new stories dropping every month. That's all episodes all at once. Start your free trial to The Binge by visiting the All Relative Defining Diego show page on Apple Podcasts or getthebinge.com to get access wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Stay with us as we go deeper into the history of Guatemala and the Civil War, and to hear stories from other Guatemalan adoptees, like me. That's coming up in the next two episodes of Defining Atico. When the army, they opened up the fire, 13 people died here. After some five, six months, they already told me that they found my birth mother who has also a six finger and both of her hands. Yeah, I came with a big burn and my parents had like no idea like where that could have come from. He's born here and his blood is from the Tsutuhilis people. I mean, the root is here. All Relative, Defining Diego is a production of Something Else and Sony Music Entertainment. It's written and hosted by me, Lori Stern. And me, Diego Shikai Luke. Mio Warren is our senior producer. Associate producers are India Whitkin and Kyra Asabe Bonsu. Executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs, Jude Kampfner, and Tom Koenig. Lizzie Jacobs is our editor. Production management help from E.K. Egbatola and Lily Hamley. 
Dara Hirsch is our engineer, and we had additional mixing by Sam Baer. Our theme song was composed by Gautam Shrikashan. Fact-checking by Natsumi Ajisaka. Translation by Dolores Ratzan and Alex Petze. No relation. Our adoptee consultant is Eric Mann. A big thanks to all the folks at Something Else and Sony who gave us feedback on earlier versions of the show. Megan Dietrich, Grant Irving, Krista Ripple, TJ Raphael, Louisa Tucker, Tiffany Walker, Julia Doyle, Rob Dozier, Pallavi Kodamasu, Janelle Brown, Jen Womack, Lauren Pagoni, Charlie Yetter, and Steve Ackerman. And Jude, thank you for making this project a reality. Thanks to Ben Fawson and adoptees with Guatemalan Roots, a great organization. And thanks to Gemma Givens, founder of Next Generation Guatemala. You helped start us off. And thank you to Dolores Ratzan, our friend and translator for more than 20 years now. You've taught us so many things, including how to say thank you in Tsutsuhil. Matios. Matios, Dolores. And special thanks to my dad, Dan Luke. We couldn't have done it without you. Dan, we love you so much. And thank you to all the Sutuhiles and members of my family in Santiago Atitlan. Juan, Josefa, Cristobal. And the biggest thank you in the world goes to my mother, Isabel. You gave birth to me, and you opened up to all of our questions over the years. Matios. Julia, I miss you and love you. Carter and Gavin, I love you guys. Let's get together soon. Finally, a thank you to my two best friends, Aiden Hodson and Liliana Pickert. Thank you for believing in me even when I didn't. From one adoptee to all adoptees, let's keep the conversation going. You know, the journey never really ends. I'm still defining Diego. But I wish you all the best on your path forward, and I'm sending you all my love and support. If you love the show, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. 